Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house and giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. Well, John, I think we have an awesome show lined up for today. Um, again, we have some great information, very timely for uh, you know a lot of people out there, and we're going to talk specifically to the millennials. Mm today um folks in their 20s and 30s you know we got the six millennial money mistakes the things that that people tend to start early in life that derail them for the rest of their life financially and so these are really important they need to listen up for these it's a shame i mean they i'm seriously this this stuff will change your life if you if you implement it in your 20s exactly it really got to start early so that's why we're going to address this today absolutely and we're going to follow up with an article about um organizing your financial life that's at the top of everybody's list, right? I like right? it. You know, this is my organizational year. Is I, I, one it? of okay. my New Year's resolutions was I was going to get organized this year. Yeah, just pitch it and burn it. All over the place. You really? Garage. I already cleaned up my garage. I yeah. got one down, but I got my workshop. I got my yeah. office, you know, a lot of other things. But and, that's and a good financial one. list has got to be other. You know, people have, you know, some people have loads and loads of papers. And yes. So we're going to go through five best practices when you think about your financial life and give you some ways that you can kind of, you know, streamline it a little bit. That's Make it great. Easy. Yeah, I think that's a great topic. So uh, I'm all about organization this year. That's a good one. Yeah, well, um, by the way, I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro with over 20 years' experience of providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I'm also a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro, have an MBA in finance, and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 20 years. And we are excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly show. Our podcasts are up uh, every Friday afternoon. Um, Right there on iTunes. Yeah, you can go to our website, moneymd.net, and we have a link on the right-hand corner. You can click that. It takes you to another website that has all of our podcasts out there that you can download and listen to. We have a lot of great topics from, from the last you know, six months or so that if you haven't joined us, you can go back and, and uh, listen and uh, you know become proficient. Yeah, a lot of information out there. Do take advantage of that. And speaking of proficient. Speaking of proficient, before we jump into things here, you're right. My hat's off to the Gamecocks. <laughs> Taking down Duke, Coach K, I mean. No one predicted that. Hey, I mean, what can you say? Where'd that that come from? That was out of of left field. I mean, they've uh, they've really had a rocky season. They started off really strong, and then towards the middle to the latter part, they were really weak and almost didn't make the tournament. But, uh, yeah, hats off to uh, Frank Martin and his crew and, um, you know, took down – Duke, Duke. I mean, going to the Sweet 16, I mean, I wish Clemson could claim that. We'll just hang on to our national title, (laughs) football. Hey, we're not posting over here. so long ago. It seems like years ago now. I don't know. I mean, this lasts the entire year, John. These are (laughs) champions here. But, but hey, I mean, Sweet 16 16 in basketball, that's worth a lot. I'll give you kudos for that one. Pretty exciting. That was good. All right. Um, more excitement to come. And we're, speaking of which, we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, Steve, I don't know if you, you probably recall this because um, we talked a lot about this back in in uh, 2011. So it's been, you know, almost uh, over 1,400 trading days in the market. So over five years um, since the U.S. Wow. Um, was was downgraded. You remember they had AAA rating yeah, went down hard. to AA? Hard to believe it's been five years. Seems like that was only a couple years ago. Yeah, and you know that was such a negative time in the markets. I mean, the markets tanked, and the third quarter of 2011 was extremely low. And if you would have, you know, held on to your investments and added some investments over that time, I mean, being a being in a diversified portfolio in just a little bit over five years, you would have made over 60 percent. 
And wow. so even That's during right. that really difficult time, and it just goes to show you that there are always going to be events like Brexit or this event back in, in 2011 that are going to cause the markets to go down. And what history shows is if you're diversified, you know, do some rebalancing in there, add some money in there as well. Historically, that's worked out very, very well in building wealth. Now, no one can predict the future, but historically that has been a great, you know, prescription um, to for your financial. Yeah, that's an interesting fact. And I, I do like the second part of this that you didn't mention. That is the the yield on a 10-year treasury is the same as it was back then after the downgrade, which is... Uh, Isn't that incredible? It's just pretty incredible. It just goes to show that S&P does not rate the U.S. bonds. The market does. That's right. And the market's saying, we don't care what you rate it. We're rating it the same as it was then. That's what the market says um, based on those yields. So that's that's pretty interesting stuff. Good financial fact of the week. All right, that leads us up here to our first topic, and that is the six millennial money mistakes. Um, yeah, I mean, these are the things that, you know, young people tend to do early in life that can derail them for the rest of their lives financially. So these are really important things. This is based on a U.S. News and World Report article um, back uh, a while ago, and it just has some great insight into things that young people that we see all the time when we sit down with people um, that they get in these bad habits and they get derailed early in life and it just carries through later on. Um, but yeah, poorly finance, managed finances during your 20s and 30s, they can take a toll on your credit and it can establish patterns that will make it much harder to save for your future um, financially. And when you don't have your finances under control, you accumulate debt and you ingrain financial habits that will haunt you for the rest of your life. On the other hand, if you get off to a good start early in life and you get in a habit of making smart financial decisions, it can set you up for your dream retirement and loads of financial freedom and peace financially in between. Um, so you want to get off to a good start. Yeah, and there's no doubt, Steve, that um, you know your 20s and 30s are probably one of the most important times in your financial life um, because, like you said, it's going to determine where you end up in your golden years. So we think it's incredibly important to get started with that right mindset and the habits about money when you're in those early adult years and you start making a steady paycheck. So some of these things that we're going to talk about start now. And if you're listening to this and you're in your 50s and 60s and you have kids and grandkids, you can partake this information and advice and, and uh, help them out. Right. You know the things to look for in young people that could set them off on this path. Unfortunately, people we see who are in really poor financial shape, you know, entering into retirement, they probably started down this road from day one back in their 20s. So if you break those habits now, you are likely to be sitting, sitting pretty when you get in the home stretch for your golden years. So here are the six worst money mistakes you can make in your 20s and your 30s. Um, the first one here, John, is fueling an overspending habit. I mean, this is all too familiar. These habits, they start when you are in your teens, perhaps, mm -hmm. and then they just get worse and harder to break the older you get. So you need to recognize you have a spending problem early before you dig into a deep hole that you can't get out of. And breaking an overspending habit early can prevent serious money problems later in life. And become a man mindful spender and keep track of all of your purchases. That's really the goal here. And you you do really need to get a pair of, uh, I mean, the question is, do you really need to get another pair of shoes? 
Do you shop as a hobby, as a way to reduce stress or a cure for boredom? You know, figuring out the psychological triggers behind your shopping sprees can really help you stop this unhealthy behavior before it gets out of hand. Yeah, that overspending habit. I just had a, um, a daughter of a client that came in. She's 24 years old, and um, she has saved up some money, and she opened up a Roth account. Um, Fantastic. Yeah, yeah, and she's going to contribute to it on a monthly basis. So, you know, she's spending on herself, which is a good type of habit to form. That's right. So, and another one that she, she has is living on a budget and, um, you know, knowing how much it's going to cost to live your lifestyle and, you know, what some of the expenses that you're responsible for every month can help you make better decisions throughout your 20s and 30s. I mean, you should update your budget at least once a month, if not weekly, really. You ought to be tracking that, um, you know, looking at your expenditures. There's a lot of good apps out there for young people. Um, Every Dollar is Dave's uh, app that does that. I like There's that one. Mint.com. There's a lot of different ways to track this, but you gotta you got to track it, um, and you got to live on a budget. Exactly, yeah, and it doesn't have to be very complicated or detailed, really. I mean, you simply need to have an idea of where your money's going and some of the, some of the mental, mental accountability for, you know, how you're spending your money. So just make a simple budget with maybe 10 to 15 categories, and then go through your bank or credit card statement once a month to categorize those expenses. As you mentioned, there's some great uh, apps out there like Mint.com and First Dollar mm-hmm. on uh, Dave's website um, where you can link your credit cards to it. And some of those will automatically sort them for you and categorize those out into your budget. And then all you need to do is just set up some limits and review the items to make sure that they're in the correct categories. Um, review your budget regularly every month at least to cut out any extra expenses and contribute more toward your savings account when possible. That's really the key to getting, uh, that's what a budget is leading into is to be able to save more. So that was number two. Next one here is neglecting student loan repayments and forgiveness programs. Yeah, for young people, there's about 1.6 million people who are eligible to cap their monthly student loan payment at 10% of their income by enrolling in an income-based repayment program. Mm. Yeah, so that's a pretty good option, you know, if you have a lot of student loans. And these income-based programs um, can help. I mean, there are several different uh, deferment and forgiveness programs designed to make your student loan payments as manageable as possible with a little research. Um, you can tame the student loan payment and make it fit within your budget. A good place to start is studentloans.gov. And um, also the websites of your student loan processor can help you do that. But once you free up some extra money in your budget, you know, you'll want to pay a little extra toward these loans um, each month, accelerate when they get paid off. Get on a plan to have them all paid off in five years if possible. You know, that way... Um, you know, you'll be finding a way to, you can earn some extra income or dramatically change your lifestyle, whatever it takes, but the sacrifice will be well worth it in the long run if you get behind, if you get this behind you in five years or less. Yeah, and doing 10% of your income in a lot of cases is going to, you're going to be paying on that thing for 20 years. Exactly. I mean, that, that's the risk of that. That's the problem. <clears throat> you really need to get where you're earning extra income, where you're getting on a path to have it yeah. paid off in five years. That means you're paying, you know, 20% of, of yeah, the loan balance exactly. every year. Yeah, and another one here, Steve, on the list is relying on credit cards to fill income gaps. I mean, if you're counting on credit cards to pay for bills or take care of expenses you forgot to budget for, you're, you're really setting yourself up for huge 
debt problems. You've got to learn to live within your means by taking a close look at your finances uh, with that budget that we keep talking about. So you've got to cut some of those extra expenses like maybe eating out every single night uh, or paying for cell phone services you may not need as well. So you've got to figure out how to avoid credit cards. They're, they're not, they're not going to be helpful long term. You're not building wealth with credit cards. Exactly. And that's exactly right. Yeah. And you also need to consider downsizing your living space. Um, to save on monthly bills, you know, make a budget that allows you to live on a cash-only basis, basis, and set up, set the credit cards aside just for emergencies. Pay off your cards one by one, starting with the smallest one. You know, do the debt snowball that Dave Ramsey talks about. Then get rid of all of them except maybe one card for emergencies. Um, you know, you have to get you have to get your budget to the place where you never run a balance on a credit card. That's the key. Um, so that's a good one. Next one here is living without health insurance. I mean, yeah, this isn't supposed to be an option anymore, but, you know, the temptation is there since health insurance is expensive and the penalty is relatively small. Um, medical bills are, are one of the biggest causes of bankruptcy in America. No matter how wealthy you are, um, you have to be prepared financially for a medical emergency. You never know when there's going to be a car accident or some unfortunate work injury that could wipe out your savings account or leave you with a huge uh, debt load. So make sure you have at least basic health insurance coverage, <clears throat> either through your employer-paid plan or, you know, buy one out there on your own through the exchanges or stay on your parents' insurance, <clears throat> if possible, up to age 26. Um, you know, since you're young and you're probably healthy, you don't need a Cadillac health plan. There are many plans out there that are designed for healthy people in your age group that have relatively low premiums, um, but at least protect you against a catastrophic health problem or emergency. And so that's what you want to do is just protect against the big things. So if you're healthy, you know, just get a good HSA qualified health plan with a high deductible. And then, um, you know, fund money into an HSA account mm -hmm. along with that. Yeah, I mean, that's not having health insurance is, is risky. I mean, it can definitely, you can have a fifty, hundred thousand dollars bill with a, with an accident. Exactly. Um, so that's, that's dangerous. The last one here, Steve, on the list is trying to keep up with the Joneses. Um, New York Times bestselling author Stephen Furtick once said, the reason we struggle with insecurity is because we compare our behind-the-scenes with everyone else's highlight reel. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, it's easy to feel financially insecure in today's social media landscape where every purchase is announced on Facebook and photos from expensive vacations are shared on Instagram. So don't don't compare yourself. I mean, you know, everybody is made differently, and some people have more resources than others, and you don't know what their financial situation is just because they have nice cars and nice houses probably means they have a whole bunch of debt and they're a right. lot more stressed than you think they are. Yeah, it doesn't mean anything. So don't get lured into that spending frenzy. I mean, your real friends, they don't care about what kind of car you drive or whether you have the latest gadgets. So figure out your priorities and don't let other people dictate your future and avoid trying to keep up with the Joneses. So that's a good one. Okay, and that leads us up here to our question of the week. Yeah, this um, question is about taxes and this uh, person had a taxable brokerage account, so it's not a retirement account. It's not a Roth or a traditional IRA. It's a, it's a brokerage account, and uh, they are invested in mutual funds, and they've had it for a number of years, and they wanted to know if there's a penalty if they use the money, and there's not a, a penalty per se. There could be a tax bill for any of the gains right. associated with it, so you'd want to understand before you go and sell it what that, that tax bill is going to be. Um, just 
because there are some other things you could do with it. You could um, you could gift that that security away and um, right. get some deductions. So you just want to understand what the tax bill is. So there is yeah. no penalty. As long as there are no load funds. I mean, they could be load True. funds. They yep. have some back-end load or back-end charge to get out of it. That's another issue. But in general, you're right. Usually it's just taxes when you go to sell that money. And then it's usually taxed at long-term <clears throat> capital gains rate. Mm-hmm. Which is pretty low, you know, for most people. Could be zero. Yeah, that's right. Fifteen percent bracket. Yep. So, could so be an opportunity. Could be an opportunity. So, um, hey, so that, you know, take a look at that. Mm-hmm. Just make sure you're not leaving something on the table. So, good question of the week. All right, that leads up here to our next topic, and that is the five practices of an organized financial life. I like it. Yeah, this, this is, is good. Organizational this, year. Here. My guess is not many people do a really good job at this. Um, I, I think it's people tough. struggle with it. Uh, this comes from Morningstar from Christine Benz. And, uh, you know, tax season has a way of reminding us all of our shortcomings when you start thinking about record keeping. Um, you know, we try to um, stash all the relevant tax documents in a single spot. You know, there are inevitably some some misplaced uh, 1099s, maybe missing receipts for charitable contributions, last-minute forays into the investment uh, provider's website to try to figure out IRA contributions. And, you know, such frustrations are inevitable accompanied by a vow to get organized once and for all. And so you have that vow this year, huh? Absolutely. Um, so, you know, because oversaving documents, it, it is a key pitfall for even well-organized people. Um, you know, so there are certain documents that you should save, um, and there's some that you can get rid of. So if you look at your financial paperwork, it, it's an excellent first step. I mean, but don't stop there. Here are some of the things, best practices to stay organized on an ongoing basis. And we we went through this. We have file cabinets, and um, we threw out a couple of years ago just, you know, pounds and Tons pounds of, of things, and you just don't need them anymore. So exactly. the first one is streamline your financial life. So the first step in getting organized uh, financially really doesn't uh, relate to papers or filing at, at all. Rather, it's really taking a look at your total financial life. Is it unnecessarily complicated? Are your investment accounts as streamlined as they can be? Do you have straggler accounts here and there? We see people having lost 401ks all over the place. Um, you know, bank accounts um, with small amounts in them. So uh, how about credit cards? Do you have six credit cards uh, where a single card could serve your needs? So start by creating a list, a hit list for these unfulfilled um, financial relationships and get busy severing them. So you got to start off with this list and um, see if you can streamline it. Yeah, that's good. And a good rule of thumb is to turn to the receiving firm for help. Um, in, in, in executing these transactions. I mean, for example, you know, if you plan to roll um, all of your 401ks and your IRAs into a single IRA at one firm, the firm that gets, that, that's getting all the assets will usually be the most helpful in helping you sort it all out because, you know, they'll have the most to gain from keeping you happy. So, they'll, you know, they'll be, just be transfer forms and things assigned mm-hmm. to move the money or they'll help you get the form to roll over your 401ks into the IRA. So you don't need to worry about too much of that. You just need to go to the place where you want to get it all consolidated and uh, they'll help you get it organized. Yeah. So number one is, is simplify your financial life. Try to try to consolidate your accounts. Number two is go paperless. You know, there are still some paper um, backers out there, but one of the best ways to maintain organized financial records is to reduce the flow of financial papers into your home in the first place. So, you know, doing so not only cuts down on financial clutter, but it also has, you know, a couple other benefits as well. So by opting for electronic document delivery, instead of allowing these documents to pass through your 
your, the mail, you'll lessen your risk for identity theft and other types of financial fraud. Of course, that's only true if you've taken the necessary steps, you know, to protect yourself online, such as, you know, having the latest version of uh, your browser and internet security. Um, but you know, it's it's a less of a risk because people do steal mail, right? Things right. That come in mailboxes and so forth. Sure. In addition, you could also save money by going paperless. There are some some uh, institutions that'll waive an account maintenance fee if you do that. So you know, paperless is a simpler way. Now you have to have some documentation that you have the account, um, but you don't necessarily have to have all the updates coming in a via piece of paper. Yeah, that's right. And before you go paperless, however, it's worth, you know, kind of doing a trial run of your financial provider's electronic document storage and retrieval system. You know, if there's information on your paper statements that you rely on again and again, for example, information about your cost basis, um, make sure you can readily find that on the provider's site, too. And before chunking your own records, make sure this information you'll be relying on on a uh, goes as far back as you need it to go. So, um, you know, as discussed in, in, in the articles, um, you know, from 2011 through 2013, providers, I mean, were, un- were required to begin tracking uh, cost basis information from various securities back in that time. So if your accounts predated those requirements going into effect, and you'll need to retain your cost basis record yourself. So all of this information, you just need to make sure, I guess the bottom line here is you need to make sure that the information you need, you can retrieve off of the online provider mm-hmm. site mm-hmm. if that's what you're relying on. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, the next one here on the list is a uh, password manager. And if you're conducting a lot of your financial business online, which most of us are, uh, for convenience reasons, as as um, as much as a desire to stay organized, you, you got to keep track of those usernames and passwords, and that can be cumbersome. Uh, I have an Excel spreadsheet. I do it the old-fashioned way, Me too. and uh, I keep track of that. Man, it's got probably 100 to 125 entries. Some of them are old. Yeah, um, and I do too. have that password protected. <laughs> that's, yeah, exactly. That's yeah. important as well. Do, um, no doubt. Yeah, there are some software programs out there such as LastPass, Dashlane, TrueKey. Um, they can store your online account information and passwords on your computer and smartphone and regularly update your password as well. So that's a big one. I think, you know, a lot of people forget their passwords, um, but... Um, you know, some systems require you to change it every 90 days, um, but having some record of that, I actually print that out once a year and put that in a lockbox, gotcha. kind, of, kind of like a will, you know, if yeah, people right, needed to get in my right. accounts, um, they can access it based right. on that file. So Yeah, I do the same thing. Well, I have it on my wife's computer, you know, too, on yeah. mine, mine and hers, you yep. know, so... Same type thing, but it's password protected, like you said. And uh, but there's a lot of them out there now. I don't know how you can possibly get by in today's world without oh, I know. having a file of some type. There's there's literally hundreds of them, like yeah. you said, and yeah. in most cases, you know. So yeah, it's yeah. number four here on the list. Steve is uh, keep important information safe but accessible. And although financial record keeping is moving in the digital direction, for now you still have to hang on to at least some physical documents. For for most people, a three tier filing system makes sense. Maybe a safe deposit box at the bank. Uh, Maybe you have a home safe or some type of fireproof box. And then a filing cabinet um, or maybe an electronic file cabinet on your computer. You know, the safe deposit boxes are clearly the safest place for house valuables, but they cost money. You know, you have to to pay that annual fee, and they aren't terribly convenient. So because of those features, you may stash your 
very valuable, hard to replace items that you use infrequently, such as you know birth certificate, marriage certificate, death certificates, um, social security cards, you know things like that. You may store those in uh, in that type of um, you know medium because you don't need them that often. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, valuable documents that you use more frequently and um, or that take up more space, such as passports and you know, past tax returns, those are best kept at home in a fireproof box or a home safe. And then finally, files that you're updating on a regular basis can go into an in-home file cabinet with a, a lock on it. You know, alternatively, you can forego the physical file cabinet. Instead, rely on the digital filing system on your computer. But either way, you want to safeguard that. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And the last one here on the list is develop and maintain a master directory. And this basically just lays out all your key financial information, um, you know, including basic details on investment accounts. Um, you can have passwords on there, life insurance, social security information, and uh, make sure you password protect it. We do have a, a document that uh, we pass out to our clients um, that they can yep. use that as a documentation yep. uh, as our master directory. So if you're listening out there and you want to get a copy of that, you can you can email us at info at moneymd.net. But that is a very important one. That's a roadmap yep. um, for your heirs when you pass away that they can use that and figure out where your assets are and phone numbers and account numbers. So. Yeah, and I know you have that, and I do as well. You know, it's just an Excel file for me, but mm-hmm. I got, you know, all the account numbers on there and, you know, phone numbers and, you know, the latest value and that kind of stuff for all of our assets and all of our important type of uh, accounts. So, um, again, password protected, of course. Yes. Um, so, <laughs> but good info. That's a great, great topic. And that leads us up here to our prescription of the week. Yeah, it's um, this is a time-sensitive prescription, okay? So, you still have time to change your bracket and take South Carolina from the Sweet 16 all the way into the Final Four. <laughs> good luck on that. So, uh, you still have time because the game is, is tonight, Friday night, 7.30. So. Past performance is no indication of future results, <laughs> yes. John. I've heard that somewhere before but no this actually prescription has to do with um, contributions to your Roth IRAs and your traditional IRAs you have up until April the 18th to make that contribution so you know you got uh, a little bit less than a month to do that but this is important you can you can actually change and improve your tax situation for 2016 by making a contribution to your traditional IRA if you're eligible. That's a good one. You could also make an HSA contribution all the way up to tax filing time. So that's another $6,750 yeah, that's you right. can take right off of your tax return like if you qualify for that. So uh, great topic. And uh, that does bring us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week for more prescriptions for your financial health. Do check us on our website, moneymd.net. Email us your questions at info at moneymd.net or give us a call at Richard Associates, 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. Material in this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is for customer service only and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard & Associates, a registered investment advisor.